this is Celeste. Welcome back to Pivot to Plants. Today, we're going to be diving in to all things macronutrients, protein, carbohydrates, and fats. Everything you ever wanted to know, I hope, and hopefully also a perspective on maybe why these aren't so important as we had previously thought. Hang tight. Here we go. Protein, it seems to be the darling of macronutrients and definitely the darling of marketing. And why could this be? How did this come to be? When did protein come to take such a center stage in our thought process around food? You can't go to a restaurant and order a salad without having the option of add a protein. For $3, you can have chicken. For $5, you can have salmon. We have been taught that protein comes from meat. It comes from animal flesh. And that is just part of the marketing. So to break down protein, protein is a macronutrient, meaning we need it in larger amounts than we do micronutrients. However, what a protein consists of is really a bunch of chains of amino acids. Wouldn't it be funny if they said, would you like some amino acids with your salad? So the funny, I laugh here because the funny thing is that every food has amino acids in them. Every plant has all of the essential, there are nine essential amino acids. Every plant food, even lettuce, has all nine essential amino acids. Crazy, right? But we've been taught that we need protein. We need to add protein. So where did this come from? Well, when protein was discovered in the late 1800s as a compound of structure, as a structural compound, and as the first molecule in a chain, it was given the name of prime importance. And this is back when we thought that eating flesh built flesh, and that's simply not the case. It's crazy that we think that if we eat X amount of ounces of protein, that is going to translate into protein on our body in the form of muscle. We now know that building muscle comes from work. It comes from stressing the muscle fibers, breaking them down, and requiring the body to rebuild, which doesn't come just from protein consumption right? There are many different types of proteins in the body. Um, there are three-dimensional molecule, and each molecule, according to its structure, dictates its function. It could be a messenger protein. It could be an enzymatic response protein. It could be a structural component. It could be used for transport or storage. But again, they're made of amino acids. And what our body does, because our body is so intelligent, is that it is continually taking amino acids individually from one part of the bloodstream and another and gathering them together to make the exact type of protein molecule for the purpose that it needs. So eating protein doesn't mean you have more protein mass on your body. Conversely, why is it that we think that if we drink a protein shake, we're gonna build a muscle, but 
Also, we drink a protein shake to lose weight. It's like bodybuilders are taking shakes and dieters are taking shakes. And they both seem to have this contradictory concept of what that shake is going to do for them, right? I mean, I had to look at this information when I was coming from bodybuilding on a omnivorous diet to going to a vegan diet, a plant-based diet, because that's what my heart was telling me was right and healthy and something I wanted to embrace. And so I had to do all of this research and all of this personal trial and error and experimentation so that I could get past my own cognitive um, bias so that I could be congruent within myself and no longer believe one thing, but practice another. And to that effect, if you're one of those people that take science and can just go, wow, that speaks, that's truth. I'm going to apply that to my life. I give you all the accolades. I had been coming from what I knew worked, what I saw absolutely transform my body from fit to absolutely ripped and um, very muscled. And so the science and the data and the information even that I was getting from these plant-based doctors and authorities, I wasn't reading anybody that had had the same experience that I had had in physique competitions or sports with the purpose of aesthetics in mind. So (laughs) needless to say, this was something it took me a long time to get my mind around. And the best experiences that I was able to give myself was in my own body and proving out the science and the truth. And I now know that I need far less protein than I had eaten when I was competing on an omnivorous diet and far less protein even that I used when I was doing vegan bodybuilding. The fact is that our bodies are so intelligent and they use what they have to make what they de- what they need. That's not to say that we don't need protein, but just to give you an example of the recommended daily allowances of protein and how far we normally exceed those, let me read to you some statistics from the University of Washington's um, nutrition department because I think this is a very great resource. It's something that nutrition students are being taught and what I love is that it actually it actually falls in line with what my experience has been. So basically, they break down protein, again, as a string of amino acids. The role in the body is tissue structure, parts of organs, bones, muscle, hair, skin. It's part of our plasma membranes. It is involved in metabolic transport. Gee, I could have said all this a lot more articulately if I had just been reading this. But the recommended daily allowance for protein is, if you're sedentary, it's only 0.36 grams of protein per pound of body weight. If you're recreationally active, it's 0.45 to 0.68. If you're a competitive athlete, it goes all the way up to 0.82. We're still not at one gram per pound of body weight. And the highest here is a teen athlete because they are in this really powerful growth process where they need so much more nutrition. Their growth factor is off the charts and we we all know, obviously, teens are growing. So 
it goes all the way up to 0.91 gram per pound of body weight, but it never exceeds that. And they give right here, Washington State University, I'm sorry if I quoted that wrong before and said uh, UW, it is their major food sources are legumes, beans, peas, lentils, chickpeas, and peanuts, soy products such as tofu and tempeh, nuts, whole grains, brown rice, whole wheat. Did you know your bread has protein? Check it out. It actually has probably four grams of protein per slice. Oats, corn, quinoa, sorghum, millet, many more. Seeds, meat alternatives, often made with pea protein, soy protein, and or wheat gluten, and then animal sources. So way back when protein was discovered, we had no idea or no one was talking about the fact that protein also comes from plants. And in fact, every piece of meat that you've ever eaten, the protein that that animal turned it into, it actually originated in either a grain or grass. So that was their building block of the flesh that then was consumed in the form of meat. So now we know where protein comes from. We know what its structure is in the body. Its structure is repair, transmission of information, and it holds um, our plasma, et cetera, together. So what we also can derive from this is that protein actually doesn't provide energy. A lot of people feel like I'm tired because I'm not getting enough protein. But nowhere in the scientific literature do we see that protein is a source of energy. That is where carbohydrates come in. So let's talk about them. Let's talk about carbs. These scary things that people seem to avoid and typically identify in the form of pizza or french fries. Well, I saw a statistic today that fries are 43% fat by calories and uh, pizza by calories also is much more fat than carbs. So we really need to re-look at carbohydrates and really identify what is a carbohydrate? Well, they are, they are grains, they are starches, they are vegetables, they are fruits, and they are legumes. But the best way to get any food is in its most complete form, right? Whole grains. And there's a lot of misleading marketing on packaged goods. And I'm, I honestly am not sure how they get around this where it says contains nine grams of whole grain. Well, I wonder how many grams that slice of bread is. So if the slice of bread is 40 grams, which would be an average serving, and there's only nine grams of whole grain, so what is the rest of the bread? I mean, it's not a whole grain. It's refined, bleached, and then re-fortified flour. This is not a whole grain. So when we talk about carbs being fattening, it is grossly misleading because the majority of us are not eating carbohydrates in their most natural form. Um, and if you are, that's awesome. I mean, I was eating sweet potatoes out of the fridge, cold. They're so good. They're so delicious. That is a whole carb. And to eat, oh, I figured it out yesterday, to eat two pounds of sweet potatoes, two pounds would be like 700 calories. So potatoes are definitely not going to make us fat. It's the fat we put on top of them that makes us fat. But we'll get to that in just a second. One of my favorite 
um, pieces of evidence that I leaned into when I was investigating and embracing a plant-centered lifestyle were these epidemiological zones called the blue zones. And these are the seven places on the planet where people live well past 100 healthily. They're active, they're vibrant in their community. And one of the other common factors is all of these places have a plant-predominant diet. Most of them eat under three ounces of meat a month. It's usually reserved for Sundays or a special occasion, or it's as a condiment. And so then then what is the rest of their diet? Well, it's carbohydrates. They're eating sweet potatoes in Okinawa. They're eating whole grains, pasta, and bread, and sardinia in Loma Linda, California, where there's a large population of Seventh-day Adventists, which is a Methodist sect that believes in vegetarianism. They're eating lots of grains. They're eating lots of legumes. They're eating lots of potatoes. So all of these places around the earth where people are living healthy without the intervention of medicine. And just like as a side note, you know, the the older I get, the more interested I am in longevity and being able to do the things that I love for a very long time. I'm not so interested in aesthetics, in how much weight I can lift, in how fast I can run. I want to know that I can do the activities I enjoy, walking, gardening, hiking. I want to learn to dance. I want to be able to do these things forever. I don't want to be um, in a wheelchair. I don't want to be on medication. So in my research, finding that populations that ate a whole food, high carbohydrate diet were living better and longer definitely had my attention. And then to nail it home, there was a study in 2013 when we finally have this data of people who have been following a lower carb diet, we see that and these are people that you know we would consider fit who are counting macros who are looking at making sure that protein has a place in every meal we saw that in 17 studies with over 700,000 people low carbohydrate diets were associated with a 31% increased death from all causes our systematic review and meta analysis of worldwide reports suggests a low carbohydrate were associate low-carb diet were associated with significantly higher risk of all-cause mortality in the long run. And these findings support the hypothesis that the short-term benefits of low-carb diets for weight loss are potentially irrelevant because it doesn't matter if you lose weight in the short term, if you die sooner, or if you gain it back like most people do when they stop restricting carbohydrates. So, In looking at this, it really made me embrace the concept that carbohydrates were not the enemy. And in my research as a competitor, looking at carbohydrate consumption of 130 grams a day for a woman can lead to thyroid disorders, I was more and more impressed that carbohydrates were certainly not the enemy. So it was just a matter of how do I get whole carbohydrates into my diet? What ones do I like? Well, I like those Morosky purple sweet potatoes from Trader Joe's. I love brown rice. Um, What carbs do you like? Like what carbs in their whole natural form do you enjoy? And then can you enjoy those carbohydrates without meat? 
And can you enjoy those carbohydrates without adding oils or topping them with any type of fat, like a baked potato? Do you have to have it with sour cream or and bacon bits? Or can you enjoy it with a bean chili on top? Or can you make a potato the base of black beans with some healthy plant-based fat coming from avocado? So we can see that carbs are definitely not the culprit in America's uh, obesity problem, and they weren't the reason that an athlete like myself couldn't get ripped. Study after study shows that in at the end of the day, it is the amount of calories. It is not the place that they're coming from. So we need to see carbohydrates for what they are. Carbohydrates are a form of energy. Carbohydrates fuel your body. They fuel your brain. They turn into glucose, which is stored as glycogen in the muscles and in the liver and is the key element for performing all of our day-to-day functions. In fact, your brain is the most expensive part of your body to run. If you were in a coma, you would be considered at a basal metabolic rate. So all of the energy that it would be required to sustain you at that point would be keeping your brain alive. There are calculators you can go online and figure out what your basal metabolic rate. It's usually around 12, 13, or 1400, depending if you're a woman or a man and how big you are. And that is basically what it costs to run your brain. So we can see that carbohydrates are an essential source of energy. And then personally, I started exploring this. Okay, so what if I reduce my protein and increase my carbohydrates? Oh my gosh, I felt like a new woman. And this is where I would like to talk about this reductionist mentality that we have of carbs, proteins, and fats. What if we just looked at food as whole and intact? Because every food actually contains all three macronutrients, protein, carbohydrates, and and fat. Even a piece of lettuce has a minuscule amount of fat, a lot of fiber, lots of water, and carbohydrates and a tiny bit of protein just in a piece of lettuce. So I think at large, a lot of the time when we think about carbohydrates, we're thinking about processed carbohydrates. Those are the things that we buy in the aisles of the store, which I believe I've talked about before. We we really want to avoid the aisles as much as possible. We want to shop around the edges of the store. You walk into the store and there's all the beautiful produce. There's Then you go to the natural food section and you can buy legumes and nuts and seeds in bulk. You can buy tofu. You can buy tempeh for your plant-based protein. And you can buy fruits. You can buy mushrooms, which have awesome health benefits. All of these things contain carbohydrates. Carbohydrates are not the enemy. We just need to look at them and say, how do I like these in their whole natural form? And start edging the meat and the excess protein off of our plate to make room for what our body needs. I don't know if you've ever gotten to the end of the day and had a sugar craving, and I'm one that likes to finish off my dinner with a sweet treat. I'm a huge fan of black bean brownies, if I haven't said that before on this podcast. They're full of fiber, and cocoa powder has polyphenols in it, and I could go on and on, but they're delicious. You should try them. 
Coming back to the incidents, where often when we deprive ourselves of complex carbohydrates, starchy carbs, basically potatoes, rice, beans, even whole grain pasta, throughout the day, at the end of the day, our brain is trying to keep us alive and it says, we need glucose. So the thing that we go to is sugar. So if that sugar craving is getting control of you at four o'clock or at seven o'clock or nine o'clock, then it's time to look at the diet and say, well, maybe I didn't properly nourish my body through the day. And instead of counting carbs as bad, we just need to think about where we need to put them in our diet for sustained energy. I'm a huge fan of oatmeal in the morning if that serves you well. If it doesn't, why not try a smoothie with fruit and greens and a little flax or chia and some soy milk, non-GMO, organic soy milk for a little bit of protein and see how long that that keeps you full. So I think I've railed on about carbohydrates enough. Let's get into fat. So first thing that I want to point out is fat is calorically dense. So one gram of fat is nine calories and a gram of carbohydrates and a gram of protein both consist four. Carbohydrates, usually if they're in their whole form, are also going to consist of fiber, which is actually not digested. And again, protein has no fiber unless it's coming from plants. So looking at fat, fat is twice as calorie dense as protein and carbohydrates. And so it's important to be cognizant of the amount of fat from whole natural sources, nuts, seeds, avocado, coconut, olives, that we're adding to our meals so that we can make sure that our our, our diets are not fat-based because fat is not the optimal source of energy for the body. That's carbohydrates. Fat does have a proper function in the body, and it's really important, so let's talk about that. Fat, also known as triglycerides, cholesterol, and essential fatty acids, all have a function in the body. For one, they help us assimilate vitamins A, D, E, and K. They're stored in the liver and in the fatty tissues, and they help regulate hormone responses. They also protect our cells. Our cells actually have a lipid, a fat membrane around them. So we need fat. However, the average American eats 30 to 45% of their diet in the form of fat and much more than 10% in saturated fat, which is the recommended maximum in order to prevent um, hypertension and heart disease. So fat is essential. The fat that we get when we're eating processed foods are likely from genetically modified sources such as canola, corn, soy, and vegetable. And anything genetically modified is something that I say we need to steer clear away from. We don't know much about this. It hasn't been in the food system for that long, certainly not a lifetime to see the effects Um, However, as a nutritionist, I've seen younger clients and children of clients come more and more with issues that I think could be related to the fact that our food system is really, really losing its purity with the introduction of more genetically modified foods and all of the artificial colors, flavors, preservatives, 
and sodium that we have added to our food. So again, fat is essential. How much? How much do we need? Well, some whole food plant-based schools of thought say that we don't need more than 10%. To me, that seems a little bit low for optimal thriving because in order to get essential fatty acids, which are our EPA and DHA, which come primarily from walnuts, flax, and chia, again, all whole food sources, we need to be consuming a couple tablespoons of each of those a day. So I'm not anti-fat. I'm just anti-added fat. So if I buy rice crackers, which is something that I like to munch on, and it's probably one of the few processed things in my pantry, um, I'm always looking for (laughs) the one that has less than 20% total calories coming from fat because it's coming from a processed oil. All oil is processed. If we want to be purists about this, we would just be eating fat from olives, avocado, nuts, seeds, and coconut, which are delightful forms of fats. Don't get me wrong. So the thing to watch out for is added oils. And if we're avoiding the aisles as much as possible, then we're not getting those added oils in our diet. One of the other things that I think really stumps people Um, if you haven't tried it, is cooking without oil. Oil makes everything cook faster and more even. However, you can get the exact same effect cooking with broth, maybe not as fast, or cooking with water. And I tend to like broth because it is a, um, it just adds a little bit of flavor to the vegetables. So I just made a stir fry for dinner and I used some miso broth to cook up without getting them all sticky on the pan, the broccoli and the carrots and the cabbage and the garlic and onion. And it worked out great and it comes very easily off the pan. So so just by eliminating cooking with oil, we have reduced our fat consumption in a really good manner. So that's the first place that I would start would be try cooking without oil. If we're baking, you can easily substitute You can cut down the fat, you can reduce it by half, and for the volume, substitute something soft like applesauce or banana, or depending on what you're making, there are guides you can look up online that will tell you a great substitute for the fat. Sometimes you can leave it out altogether, which I have, but sometimes you need a little bit of it to give the texture that you're looking for. However, The goal is to get fat from whole plant sources. So it would be cooking without oil and then adding fat as a topping, like making the stir fry and then adding tahini, which is sesame seed paste or sesame seed butter, which has a really, really nice flavor. And the fat in it does have an essential um function in that it helps us absorb the nutrition. So I don't think we can live a fat-free diet, and I don't think that's the goal. And in the 80s, when fat-free was promoted, basically people just went to eating all these processed foods that were now advertised like fat-free, like Twizzlers, which were always fat-free, but um, Snackwell cookies. And basically what happened was the American um, food consumption increased dramatically in processed flour and sugar. 
we didn't really cut down fat. If you can look back at those studies, it's crazy. All we started eating was more processed food. So then it's no wonder that low carb comes up again as the way to reduce fat. So a fun fact I meant to share before, but it is true that carbohydrates are stored in your muscle and in your liver as usable energy. And for every gram of carb that's stored, you need 2.3 grams of water to retain it in the cell. So anytime a person goes on a low-carb diet, keto or just a low-carb diet, that initial whoosh of fat loss purportedly, purportedly, if I can talk, is actually just water exiting the system. So now we're dehydrated, (laughs) which is not a good thing because we're 70% water and we need water in our cells on every level to function. So fat is essential, not as much as we think. If you are looking and you're tracking macros in one of the tracking apps, if you want to lose weight, get your fat down to 20% and you will be amazed. I'm not going to say that it's easy, but it is definitely doable. Another thing to keep in mind with fat and sugar is they are highly palatable. So we love them. We seek them out and they also have an addictive component to them. So our brains are always telling us to do the thing again that made us feel really good. And fat and sugar both signal a higher dopamine response than just straight carbohydrates or straight protein. So I'd like to leave you with some actionable takeaways that you can actually do and see how it feels in your body. Because again, You are your own wellness guide, but just because your body says, I crave sugar, doesn't mean that we need to reach for a candy bar. So I would challenge you to one, put a bowl of fruit on your counter and have frozen berries and cherries in your freezer. Next time you want something sweet, reach for a whole fruit that has fiber and tons of micronutrients intact in it. Not only is it going to fill your tummy faster than something that is denser, more calorically, and more concentrated, you're not going to have a huge sugar spike and then a sugar crash, which is then going to want to be answered by an input of more sugar into the system. So tip number one would be fruit on the counter. Tip number two, start your day with a healthy breakfast. In the morning is your body's best opportunity to take on dense starchy carbs and use them throughout the day. So great breakfast things to start with are your traditional oatmeal, just rolled oats, not the pre-made packets. You're welcome to add dates, fruit, even some maple syrup or honey to sweeten it, but then you know that you are the one putting the sugar in it, not some chemical in a plant. The second thing would be to add more veggies. We want to get five to eight servings of veggies a day. And if you're doing fruit and veggies in your oatmeal, and then again at lunch, 
And then again at dinner, you'll have no problem doing this, but that means that broccoli can no longer be a side. It means to look at dishes and say, where can I add more veggies? And one of the coolest things about cooking plant-based is that it's so forgiving. You don't even have to pick the right vegetable. It's going to taste great anyway. So if you're making a stir fry for dinner, clean out the fridge. What can you put in that stir fry? If you're making a soup, that's another great place to add extra veggies. Even when I make chili, I always add extra vegetables like zucchini. I'll probably throw some chopped up kale or spinach in there at the end. Obviously onions and mushrooms, which do count as well. And another thing that I love, and I know that not everybody loves, but I love to eat huge meal salads. When I make my salad, I get the baby greens that are organic and pre-washed, or I buy a head of lettuce and I salad spin it right away so it's usable when I want it. And I chop them up, even if they're baby greens, really fine. And then I shred some carrot. I might shred some beet. I'll chop up some cucumber, some grape tomatoes, add some avocado, add some dry fried mushrooms, add some baby bell peppers. And one of the other things, especially if it's winter, is don't be afraid to add cooked vegetables to your salad. I personally really like the combination of cooked and raw. So my breakfast salad today had some cooked sweet potato on it. I had colored chard in my fridge. You know what? It was such a mild flavor that I could have been eating lettuce. It really tasted exactly the same to me, maybe slight variants. So just start adding more veggies. Go to the store, see what looks colorful, what appeals to you, and then start by adding an extra serving of vegetable to whatever you're making, then up it to two, up it to three, and just start making vegetables the star of the plate make meat or protein the condiment. And when we look at foods as whole foods and we're focusing on eating vegetables, fruits, grains, beans, potatoes, and tubers, we'll be getting everything that we need. Add a little fat for flavor and you have a stellar plant-based diet. If you want meal inspiration, Instagram is a great place. Feel free to follow me both at Pivot to Plants, where I post mostly meals, and Celeste.Ariel, and you'll get a visual um, array of things that I'm eating on a daily basis, some of my favorite meals. I love to get creative. It's honestly, once you open yourself up to the world of plants and all of the amazing grains and tubers and fruits really the sky's the limit. It's so wonderful to get more color, more nutrition in our diet. Then our brain is able to signal, hey, we have the nutrition that we need to thrive. We have more energy. We're full, more naturally satiated. And you're going to become one of these people like me that just loves to talk about all of the cool plant-based dishes that they cooked or that they had out and we can share our recipes together. So signing off for now. Thanks for listening. This is Celeste at Pivot to Plants. Feel free to reach out pivottoplants at gmail.com if you have any questions or any topics you want me to cover. And as always, if this was of any benefit to you, please share it with somebody. And we're available on Apple, Spotify, everywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to rate and review if you are enjoying this. It just helps 
us be found by other people who are inquisitive, plant curious, or want to know, is this possible? Can it be done? I'm an athlete. I'm a proteinaholic. I was definitely a proteinaholic. And um, you know what? I still love protein. I just love plant protein and I don't need to eat it in excess. I would rather eat all the beautiful colors of the rainbow and my body is thanking me for it. Thanks again for listening. Take care.